welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Galatians chapter 6 from verses 6 through 10. We have an opportunity today. We have an opportunity every day that we are alive, and that is to share, to share. In verse 6 of Galatians chapter 6, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, kind and merciful, loving above all else, uh, you have uh, shown us a great generosity uh, through sending your Son to, to live a sinless life then, then to die for our sins, to die for us on the cross, and then rise again. Lord, we are eternally grateful. And we will sing praises, uh, not only now, but through all eternity, uh, to the holiness, the greatness, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And uh, while we have time on earth, Father, help us to be uh, mindful that we have an open door, an open window of opportunity to do your work, and to work, and to uh, use everything that we have uh, for your glory and for that of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. But we are in Ecclesiastes 11, and you'll never guess who's knocking on the door again, again in this letter. That, that is opportunity that you hear knocking. It's kind of a tragedy that uh, this book doesn't get more attention from the church. Uh, I'll, I'll admit, though, you really don't know what you're going to get until you really start digging into it. It is so rich with wisdom. I do think the modern churches, uh, they should give a little more attention to this book and uh, how it directs us in life. Today we're going to learn that in life you, you, you've got to take some risks. You have to take some risks. I've titled this message, Nothing Ventured, Nothing Gained. And as I read to you Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verses 1 through 6, Solomon says, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters. You will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth, and whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. 
Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. It's fantastic advice. Whether you're building a business or spreading the gospel, if nothing is ventured, nothing will be gained. The lesson describes two common capitalist ventures that were very familiar to Solomon. Number one, the ancient sea trade. And number two, farming. I personally don't know a thing about the, open, uh, the ocean shipping industry. But Solomon surely did. His reputation is notorious for his fleet of ships as seen in 1 Kings 9 where he partnered with a king named Haram and sailors from Phoenicia, who were regarded some of the greatest, uh, uh, greatest sailors and shipbuilders of their day. And that passage says, King Solomon built a fleet of ships on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom, and Haram sent his servants, those are Phoenicians, with the fleet uh, sailors who knew the sea along with the servants of Solomon. They went to Ophir and took 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. In the next chapter, 1 Kings chapter 10, we are told, the king had at sea the ships of Tarshish with the ships of Haram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. So King Solomon, he magnified his riches enormously through the use of ships. They were the only reasonable form of transportation for goods from afar, but it was a really risky business, very risky business in that day. They didn't have weather radar. They sailed according to the seasons. Uh, the weather remained unpredictable. Many ships were lost. Many were lost. It took some vessels three years to complete their course and then return with their cargo. Weather forced some of the ships to spend winter in some ports. And uh, my resources tell me that even if one out of three ships, even if only one out of three ships returned with its cargo, the venture was profitable. One out of three. It was very, very profitable. But it also, uh, it also had many hazards. It, it included significant risk of loss. The risk was this. You had to put your own precious commodities 
on the ship for trading before it departed. You had to load it with what you had. For Israel, that meant a lot of grain stocks, a lot of food items for trade, uh, your bread, if you will, what you would eat. And you therefore had to be willing to take a, a part of your own pantry, that which might be your, your very sustenance, and put it on a ship and, and cast it away out to sea. Uh, that word cast there means to, to push off, to, to say goodbye to what you have, that which is precious to you, potentially even life-sustaining grains. But after many days, if your ship returned you would realize a fantastic profit. Fantastic profit. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. The president of Wheaton College, Philip Riken, says this, To cast one's bread upon the waters is to engage in international trade. Sending one's grain or other produce out to sea and then waiting for the ships to return with fine goods from foreign lands. To find it after many days, says Riken, therefore is to receive the reward that eventually comes after taking the risk of a wise investment. Whether it is building a business or investing in companies or even planning for your own retirement. If you wisely take a portion of your wealth, mix in a little bit of risk, stir that in, work hard, let it bake for a while, that recipe is going to have you waiting on the proverbial shore for your ship to come in. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Work hard, invest some, add a little bit of risk, and wait for your ship to come in. When it finally does, verse 2, divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. That means take your profits from your venture, diversify. Diversify. Don't put all your eggs in, in one basket. Divide your portion to seven. The number seven in Scripture, it is consistently and repeatedly used uh, to symbolize fullness, completion, the number seven. And we're going to discover this September as we, we study the seven letters uh, to the seven churches of Revelation in that adult Bible study uh, that uh, seven is used uh, significantly throughout Scripture and in Revelation. There in, in Revelation, you're going to find seven churches, seven lampstands, seven spirits, seven stars, seven seals, seven horns, seven trumpets, seven plagues, seven bowls of wrath. It goes on and on. Actually, in total, there's 55 times that the number seven is used just in the book of Revelation. Fifty-five times. It's highly symbolic of completeness. The finished work. Seven bowls of wrath, for instance, 
suggests the full wrath of God is poured out in Revelation chapter 16. Not a partial wrath, the full wrath. So verse 2 urges us to, to fully diversify in seven ways. Even to eight. The, the eight is just added for emphasis. To the max. Send your prophets in many directions. In fact, that word the NASB uses for divide, your translation might also say give. Give in many directions, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Many believe the seven portions in verse 2 includes dividing your wealth with being generous in many different directions, in many different ways, in case you yourself experience uh, misfortune later. The belief is that with those who you have shared, to the extent that you have shared, they are going to reciprocate when you fall on hard times yourself. Another king of Israel, named Jesus, said in Luke chapter 16 and verse 9, Make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And if you were with us when we studied that passage in Luke, we learned this means your wealth built in the world. It's the, the wealth of unrighteousness. It, it will eventually fail. You can't take it with you. Therefore, you don't use it for unrighteousness, but you transfer it into works of righteousness. Jesus urges us to, to use our wealth today to influ influence people for the sake of the kingdom of God. Uh, therefore, be known as a person who is generous. A person who gives in many different directions, many different capacities. Have that kind of reputation. People like that type of person. Give, make friends, share with them the gospel. And later on in the kingdom of heaven, if they've opened their hearts to Christ, they will, uh, they will open their eternal homes to receive you as their guests. You're going to reminisce about how wonderful it was that uh, you had reached out to them and been generous and shared the love of Christ through the gospel. Well, what greater purpose could there be for our money than to take a portion of it and share the good news of the kingdom? That sermon from Luke 16, verse 9, it's on our website under media, and uh, you can search May 19th of 2019 to find it titled, uh, the title is, How to Win Friends and Influence People. There Jesus talks about using your present wealth for the progress of the gospel and that by doing so, it's going to yield massive dividends. Massive dividends in his kingdom. Psalm, 22, uh, Psalm 112 excuse me, describes one who prospers and fears the Lord. A good fear of the Lord. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9 quotes that same psalm quotes that Old Testament psalm 
of the right, and speaking of the righteous man, it says, He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That's a pretty good deal. A New Testament quotation concerning generosity was read to you earlier in Galatians chapter 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Well, those are only just a couple of passages amongst just a plethora of scriptures in the Old Testament and New that prompt our hearts to share a portion of our annual budget with our brethren, our poor brethren in Christ abroad. He scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Forever. Diversify your profits in many directions and give generously in many different directions, even more directions. But don't spend your whole life sitting on the sidelines. And as Christ said in Luke 12, don't store all your profits up in barns. And of course, he teaches, don't spend it all on yourself. Christians are not a people who are risk-averse. We are not afraid of what tomorrow holds. We must be willing to take some risk in life, nothing ventured, nothing gained. That is true with our investments on earth. It is also true of our investments in the kingdom of God. You know, some can become so afraid of tomorrow and what tomorrow might bring that they'll never extend a hand to the needy. Never extend generosity. Others love to store up money, but we are taught to always trust in God who will provide our daily bread. Our daily bread, not allowing the wealth of unrighteousness to capture control of our hearts. This is true even though we do not know what tomorrow holds. As Solomon now transitions from the sea trade to the industry of farming in verse 3, he writes, If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Can you do anything about either of these? When the clouds are full? Or where the tree falls? It's outside our control. We don't get to control when the clouds are full and pour out their rain. We don't get to determine which way the wind is going to blow and knock over a tree. We don't know until the morning after the storm. We've all experienced that. You see a tree lying after a huge wind. It's like, I guess the wind came from the north. The tree is lying to the south. But it's impossible for us to, to discern the future. 
Stop trying, says Solomon. For our detriment is seen in verse 4. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Solomon rebukes he or she who sits on the sideline just staring up at the sky, watching the clouds, waiting for a perfect time to start. Again, Solomon, uh, with him, there was no weather radar. There was no weather channel. There was no 10-day outlook for when to plant, when to sow, or when to reap. They had their day that day. Um, it, It really scorns the person whose mantra reads this, there's no better day than tomorrow. That's paralyzing. That is paralyzing. He or she is the one who never ventures out, ventures out to try anything. Waiting for perfect weather. They watch the wind and they, they read the skies. Maybe tomorrow would be a better day to sow. Such a man checks his horoscope in the local newspaper. It says, maybe tomorrow will be better. I'll wait for another day. Today's a little too windy anyhow. The ground's a little dry and the clouds don't look like rain, so maybe I'll wait another day. Folks, today is the day. Today is the day. And there is no guarantee the weather will be better tomorrow. Michael Eaton writes this, he says, the preacher warns against procrastination, still using an agricultural illustration. Faced with erratic wind and weather, the farmer is not to wait perpetually for a more favorable occasion to sow his seed. He says, the lack of complete knowledge is no excuse for inactivity. We don't have to have full knowledge before we begin our work. John MacArthur writes, There is no virtue in wishful wondering, but there is hope for those who get busy and do their work. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Tomorrow will not be a better day. Verse 5, Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how, bo- how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, Uh, So you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. We have no more insight of what tomorrow will bring than we have watching the wind. No more insight about what tomorrow holds than we do about how the baby is formed in the womb. We don't have any control over that. They're in the hands of God. Solomon's saying, do your work today. Don't wait for another day. He's urging us, urging us to be passionate for tomorrow. It's not that he's asking us to be impulsive. Do something impulsive or foolish uh, that is not thought through. Instead, he is correcting the procrastinator who always is waiting for the perfect time. Our limited knowledge, we're just finite, fallen and finite human beings. We don't know when the perfect time will be. 
And it doesn't provide for us an excuse for procrastination. Folks, this is one of the life lessons that I'm going to, to use this year in youth group. We have our resource. We're going to have the consistent weekly devotional. It's on the same topic as everyone else, uh, every other age group in the church. And uh, we're going to have our memory verse. I'm going to teach out of the devotional resource as uh, the other teachers of the other classes will. Uh, but each week with the youth group, we're going to have a practical life lesson. A practical life lesson. And um, afterwards, we're going to pray, probably eat some cupcakes. That's what youth group does. That's why I'm teaching it. Uh, uh, I'm all in on that. But we will have practical life lessons like, well, like, don't play foosball in your mother's basement until you're 40. Get out there. Seize the day. Important stuff that every teenager should hear. Young people, you get once. You get one time through life. Make the most of it. This is not the first time we've heard this in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is very concerned about this. That we will spend our life waiting. It isn't through time, space, and chance that Solomon is going to talk next week about seizing opportunities that are only available in our youth. That will be next week. He says in verse 10, Childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. This week he says, Don't waste all your opportunities staring up at the clouds. He's making a point. Nothing ventured, nothing will be gained. If you find yourself asking, well, well what, then, what then do I do? What do I do? Solomon answers that question in verse 6. He says, Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. That's opportunity. And Solomon isn't only talking about shipping. He isn't merely talking about farming. This is God's wisdom concerning every endeavor of your life. Go out and win the day. Get busy with it. Sow both morning and evening. Take every opportunity. As you don't know whether it's going to be your morning activity or evening activity will be, that will be the one that will succeed. But when you do both, there's an even greater potential in the hand of God. He might prosper both. You might enjoy God's provision of success in both. Boy, does this incentive, does this provide an incentive to the, the young lady or, or the young man who is working a job and then taking evening classes to compliment, to sharpen himself, taking each opportunity? Boy, it surely does. If you don't have one workout for you, there's always the other. And who knows? Maybe they'll both pan out. 
By comparison, what prospects for reaping a harvest are there with the stargazer who never sows? There aren't any. And regardless of what kind of investments you pursue in your life, both earthly and heavenly, hopefully a combination of both, the sooner you get busy, the greater will be your returns. That's a fact. That is a fact. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Speaks in that passage again. Be generous. Make the most of every opportunity. And since King Solomon has emphasized getting busy at sowing and reaping, I'm sure you all know what King Jesus used as most commonly as his illustration of kingdom work. What is it? Sowing and reaping. It's equated in the Gospels in the New Testament by Christ himself. He said this. Listen to this. Behold, the, the sower went out to sow. You've likely all heard the parable and how it is interpreted by Jesus for his disciples. This is my abridged account from Mark chapter 4. Uh, Jesus said, the sower sows the word. There are those, those ones who are beside the road. Immediately Satan comes and snatches away the word that has been sown. In a similar way, says Christ, seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. They have no root. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, they immediately fall away. They don't persevere. Others are ones whom the seed has been sown among the thorns, ah, but those worries of the world, worries about tomorrow, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for things. They enter in and choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. The world chokes it out. But then there are those. Then there are those on whom seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60 and a hundredfold. Does God bless those who belong to Him? He does. But if there is nothing ventured, nothing will be gained. I'm going to ask you to ask yourself. Because most of us have probably attempted to do something like we've heard here today uh, for, our, for our retirement. I think most of us I've been preoccupied enough with that where I don't have to go into great detail about that. Diversify. Put a portion away. Someday, God willing, your ship will come in. But ask yourself this. Am I the good soil bearing fruit? 
Is that me? Or am I just staring at the clouds wondering, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow will be a better day to share the gospel. I know I've done my share of staring at the clouds. That person whom we meet in the car line at school, did we invite her to church? Did we share a gospel tract with her? Preferably both. Or did we say, and I don't think anyone here has ever said this, I think maybe tomorrow will be a better day to share the gospel. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Or we look at an opportunity and rather than seizing it, we go, what direction is the wind blowing? Today a good day? I don't know if today is a good day to share the gospel. Friends, we get one go around in this life. One time around. And one opportunity to invite God to do something extraordinary through our work. Why well, dare us? I dare, I challenge us, but I dare us. I double dog dare us. I haven't used that for years. So this is important. I dare us to get really persistent at sowing the Word of God and the Gospel with the people we meet and then watch what God does with it. I dare us. Can you imagine what God might do if we actually have a passion for the Gospel? And I mean politely but boldly, courageously, sharing the gospel with an invitation to visit this church with every stranger and every person we meet. Every single time. As Pastor Weiler said, in his departing comments Wednesday night, at a ceremony of commissioning, he said, we got something really good going on here. Something really good right here at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. And the joy that we share in combination with the fidelity to God's Word, truth without legalism, truth without licentiousness, it's a unique and special work of God's grace in our day. It really is. I fully believe that the fruit of God's word. And this is a really fantastic place to invite people to. I challenge us to make Christ boldly known. My closing story is shared, or was shared from the pulpit of Ligon Duncan concerning one of the elders at his church in Jackson, Mississippi. Ligon Duncan is now a chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, quite a thinker. Yeah, he's, he's solid, solid. But he said from his pulpit, you know, there are times when we can catch a glimpse of what God is doing, 
when we see something we did for Jesus make a difference in someone's life. And a Presbyterian elder from his church in Mississippi had this experience in Eastern Europe. Every year he traveled to the Ukraine for street preaching and door-to-door evangelism. Some of the people responded to the gospel and some didn't. But even the ones who prayed to receive Christ sometimes failed to follow through in Christian discipleship. And the elder was thinking, does any of this really matter? Ligon writes that one day the elder was out with friends and asked a stranger to take their picture. Afterward, the man who took the photo had something he wanted to say. He said, you probably don't remember me, but four years ago you came to my apartment and shared the good news of Jesus Christ, how he died for sinners like me. I prayed that prayer, said the man, but... I was just going through the motions to please my mother. I was in a very bad condition for about two years after that. I completely lost hope. I was drugging and drinking, intending to just kill myself. But in God's mercy, I remembered what you told me, that Christ died for sinners and his blood was for my sins. I prayed again, and this time I meant it. He really did come into my heart. I have been delivered. You probably wonder sometimes, the man said, if what you are doing really does any good. For me, God used it to save my life and my soul. That's the real deal right there. Opportunities are out there. Are we finally ready to get busy? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, as uh, we reflect on our own lives and how we came uh, to know your Son as our Savior and to uh, experience our lives being changed. That we are no longer what we once were, but we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. You've taken away the old and you've brought in the new. By your Spirit, you've worked in our hearts. And Father, we thank you. Thank you for those who, who worked to sow those seeds in all different, a diversity of ways. And as each of us has an experience and a story of how you knitted those seeds together uh, to uh, sprout birth in our hearts, Father, we're eternally grateful. Would you move our hearts, dear Father, to do the same? Help us to be faithful. Help us to show mercy and grace and generosity in many different ways. And then use it for your kingdom, that your son might be glorified, and that we might worship him forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.